Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right. For some reason in my head, I thought the applause should go earlier, and I almost hit it. <laughs> Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder, guys, where I Hello. almost screw up the intro every single week. And where we are sure to screw up something no matter what. Absolutely. That's a 100% guarantee. It is. Um, we're on episode 47 this week. 47? That, yeah. That we're coming up on one year. Wow. We should maybe we should do something for something that. for a one year anniversary. Yeah. That's so, a pretty ooh, big, we, pretty big thing. Yeah, it is. So we got to talk about that and figure it out. We'll stay tuned for details. On yeah. That. Okay. We just thought about it. Yeah. One year. Wow. It's exciting. Um, so this is Whiskey and Wonder, and I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And every week we review a whiskey and we teach the other uh, something about something that we have wondered about. Uh, be it a conspiracy, a history, um, event, uh, person, you know, things like that. So yeah, yeah. just some topic that we find interesting. Yeah. Um, you can check us out. I highly suggest everybody check us out on YouTube just so you can see how fast my beard is growing back in. Um, my mustache is getting quite long again. Um, so. that didn't last long. Yeah, it didn't last long. The beard has come back pretty quickly. Uh, so I would highly check us out. I uh, highly recommend everybody check us out uh, where you can find us by searching Whiskey and Wonder on YouTube.com. Uh, you can also find us at WhiskeyandWonder.com or on Instagram at Whiskey Podcast. Email us. Let us know so we have some stuff for our mailbag time. Yes. Uh, we appreciate all the emails we've gotten in the past few weeks. It's made mail time a great success. Um, you can do that by getting a hold of us at contact at whiskeyandwonder.com or just going to the contact page there. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you choose to donate, you could do that uh, at patreon.com slash whiskeyandwonder or paypal.me slash whiskeyandwonder. Um, we also have tiers on pay, uh, uh, Patreon. And here very soon, we're going to try, we're brainstorming on what kind of bonus content we can have bonuses um, so we're working on that to get that out and if you subscribe to patreon you'll have access to that bonus content yes um, indeed do you have any other announcements nope other than navia in the background growling it's not picking up on the mic i hope not it's um, not so yeah check out the store we've still got uh whiskey tumblers and, and stickers, stickers for sale a matter of fact i think we have i have Four stickers left, guys. Mm. So come on, y'all. They're, they're $1. Four stickers. Um, we are always looking for guests and guest drinkers. I know we've got a couple lined up soon. Mm -hmm. So we're excited to have everybody on the podcast as well. And want to take a moment to just thank everybody for your donations and your support for subscribing, liking, rating, reviewing, drinking along with us, whatever Doing all the things. Yeah, sending yeah. us emails and telling us fun stories. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do all the things. Guys. We we love it. Every second y'all support us, it's just, it helps a lot. So thank you. Yep. Absolutely. Every and I, one other thing that I want to make note of, and before we get too much further, is I've been going back and listening to the episodes just to get a, a audio 
balancing of it. Um, and it seems like I've got everything pretty, pretty smooth with the exception of my volume. Um, I can't, ever since I switched microphones, I cannot nail this volume down. So I'm working on it guys every week. Hopefully I'm getting a little bit closer to having me balanced with Megan and all our sound effects. It sounded like last week on last week's episode, everybody was balanced except me. I was just low. So Whoops. Yeah, well, actually, you were a little bit higher than oh. most of the things. Well. So I, I brought everybody down to my level, essentially. <laughs> Instead of rising to theirs, I brought them down to my you level. You pull us all down. Uh, unfortunately, I can't go up any further. I've, I've peaked in life. <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, all right. On that note, we're going to go ahead and jump right on into the open segment. open segment so i saw the open segment on the schedule mm-hmm. and immediately saw opening the bottle and almost hit that button <laughs> <laughs> i completely forgot we do the open segment. one word mean open all word mean open um so what's been going on um i have just had a busy week working and doing things and you know uh lots of responsibilities um it's been very busy. That's I had to do my research. I have to do uh, something that I'm going to be presenting at work. Um, I've been uh, they, I have I have more responsibilities than that, but I don't want to get too in depth into uh, company trade or anything like that. So I'm just going to say it's it's been a busy week. Okay, and um, yeah. I guess kind of in that realm, just how has how is the new promotion treating you? Good. Enjoying it? I'm enjoying it, yeah. I okay. like I like the power. Control freak. I sometimes. Control freak, yet here I am, the one in control of this podcast. Sometimes at you least, have to just give someone else the reins. At least the technical aspects. Yeah. Um so I've got I I've had an exciting week. Apart, yeah. apart from the Oh. You got me um uh alcohol. Yes, I did. That's probably the most exciting thing that's going to happen to me. Uh, so the the bar, uh, the brewery that I work at, just came out with a new seltzer called Crushing It. It is um, supposed. It is it is a orange creamsicle seltzer, and it tastes just like an orange creamsicle. If you're into that thing, I am stoked. All right, I have two. Prowlers sitting in the fridge for Megan. Uh, I got them last night at work. Um, I've actually had a pretty exciting week apart from, uh, I guess, just the normalcy of going back to work after <laughs> vacation. That was not as exciting, but, you know, we all got to do it. I officially am the only person in my house now. Yay! Uh, I no longer have a roommate. Kurt moved out. Uh, I don't know if I've ever said his name on here before, but oh, my, there roommate, you go. my roommate Kurt <laughs> moved out. Um, we've been roommates for several years, and it's, it's definitely bittersweet. But you know, I think he got himself a pretty good place, and and I know he's closer to his parents, so I'm happy for him. Happy mm-hmm. to happy to have had such a good roommate for a long time. But um. I am excited to have my house to myself as well. It's um, (laughs) 
It's. I have no idea what's happening yet. So stop. Let me. ADDing. I gotta. Well, I'm gonna give them the behind the okay. scenes because it, it. I've got the house to myself. Normally, when we record this, because the dogs play, we separate them, and we have one in here and one not. Well, the house is mine now, so the door is open, and the dogs are just going to town. <laughs> outside this room and all I heard was just nails scratching. I don't know if it's scratching the wall, scratching the floor. I don't know, but it was just like a solid just scratching for that entire time I was talking. I'm pretty I, sure someone scooby-dooed on the floor and got stuck. Yes. Um, so if you guys hear any growling noises or any kind of like I was snapping at the dogs earlier because they were being loud. We apologize. They're enjoying themselves. This is the first thing <laughs> so. they've truly got to enjoy themselves in this house. Hey. And now they're making their way in here about to knock over a guitar. Yep. It might be worth shutting that door. Okay. <laughs> oh, my headset does not go that, that far. That's fine. Anyway, um, so that's basically what's been going on with me. And <laughs> she, she shut the door but didn't. Didn't shut it hard enough, and so Bo just barreled his way in the room, shortly followed by Navia. Ay, ay, ay. Well, that was a failure. Um, so I guess on that note, we're going to just go ahead and move it into <laughs> opening the bottle. Opening the bottle. All right. This week... We are coming to you with a long-awaited, just for you, Mama Leona. Jameson, I know you requested it. It's been a, while, a long time coming. We've had it for a while, and we've just been trying to get it in the rotation, and it yes. is finally here. But it's a special Jameson. It is the Jameson Black Barrel. Ooh, fancy. Ooh. Damn, now I want to, ooh, ah. <laughs> oh, man, we need that soundtrack. That sound bite. Um, so this comes from uh, Jameson's website. Uh, this is obviously an Irish whiskey, for those of you guys who do not know Jameson, um, but it is a very popular, well-known whiskey. Um, their website says, Triple distilled flame charred for a rich, smooth taste. Charring is an age-old method for invigorating barrels to intensify the taste. Jameson Black Barrel is our tribute to our coopers, who painstakingly gave their bourbon barrels an additional charring to reveal their untold richness and complexity. The select double charred barrels produce a whiskey with even richer flavor and intense smoothness. That is what they have to say about Jameson Black Barrel. I got the cork. I tried to get it to pop into the microphone. The first time it made a great pop. The second time, not as much. Not as much, but I got a whiff, like before I even had the cork out. Yeah. And it smells delightful. Oh, it smells delightful. And I'm not going to lie. I like that word. Tomorrow's Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, y'all. Happy drink, Labor Day. If, drink one for me. And those of you guys who are most likely in 
corporate world get tomorrow off and all the people in the service industry have to work to service you. So, you know, enjoy that. Well, thank you to the service industry members for servicing me. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to have a little bit extra in my glass tonight. Okay. I was wondering, I saw you were like kind of pouring thick there on yours and I was like, damn. Did I pour thick on yours too? No, well, mm, no. Yeah, I might have got a you a little bit. That's okay. You can pour it in here if you don't want it. We're going to see how it tastes, and then sure. I'll decide. All right, so. So from over here, definitely, as you poured it, and then as you handed it to me, I could smell it. I haven't actually stuck my nose into it yet, but just the smell from a distance, uh, it smells pretty good. It's fruity um, and sweet. Uh, let's That's see. That's what I smell. Fruity and sweet. I can't pinpoint the fruit. Fudge. I smell like... Um, oh my god, you're right. It is fudge. Yeah. Oh wow. Like, uh, that's immediately it's chocolate. Yeah, it's 100% chocolate. Like I immediately just chocolate. Oh, man. Um, I smell Kahlua fudge. Like I don't. Yeah, I've never had Kahlua, so I don't know. But oh, you're I a heathen. When, once you smell, once you said fudge, I smell it. Oh, that's it. It's a very, very, very intense uh, fudge smell. So very chocolatey, uh, very sweet. I'm also getting a coffee liqueur in there. Um, I don't know about any fruit. Let me let me try to dig in on. No, fruit. that was the that. Uh, like I said, it was a sweet, fruity smell, and I didn't I didn't put two and two together that the sweet was like the fudge smell. Yeah, it's it's Yeah, I don't I'm not getting the fruit. I was mixing up the fruit and the fudge. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent what I was mixing up. Okay. Um well, I'm I'm gonna go with um Kahlua and chocolate fudge. Um I also wanna state there's no no burn. Like I had to basically no. shove my nose into it to get yeah. it to burn. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, so when the web- website said intensely smooth, I'm guessing they're not wrong. It's it's like smooth like chocolate. Yeah. That's the, what literally in my mind I have one of those like chocolate advertisements where they're like yeah. dipping or dunking something into like melted chocolate. Oh. That's smooth. Yeah. Um, time. Let's see. The nose says time spent maturing in these barrels leads to intensified aromas of butterscotch, fudge, and creamy toffee. So yeah, it's a very dessert flavors. I'm guessing I was getting the the toffee um, and butterscotch. I guess I was combining together into a Kahlua. Whatever. I'm still smelling Kahlua. Oh my! What do you think, Tyler? <laughs> Smooth as hell. Number one, but. It, uh, like, I thought it was done, and then it came back and punched me in the gut. <laughs> Is, did, did you experience that? Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it, it, like, it definitely, kinda, like, you swallow it, and you're like, oh, that's not, whoa. And then it, like, lands in your gut. And, and it, 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 like, like volcanoes up vol- your throat. Yeah, that was <laughs> intense. And um. Wow. Yeah, no, I definitely felt that. I didn't even, like, I was trying to focus on the taste, and I, I got a little bit of, like, maybe the toffee and butterscotch, but... Uh, then it, it hit me in the gut, and I was like, oh, wow. So. Yeah, no, definitely experiencing that same thing, and damn it. Ooh, it's yummy, um, at least in the first initial two sips I've taken. Um, 
I'd, oh, I'd still very chocolatey, um, very, very dessert heavy flavors, chocolate, vanilla. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I can definitely get some like toffee in there. Yeah. This is like an ice cream sundae and a whiskey. Uh, yeah. Oh man. This is, this, I have a feeling me and Tyler are going to fisticuffs for this bottle. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to go to the ABC store tomorrow. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and it's so smooth. Mm. Oh, it's so smooth. And it's, it's like really cold on the tongue at first. Um, yeah. And it, it again gives me that like ice cream mindset. So like you t- taste it. And even though we don't have any ice, it's been room temperature. It's not been chilled at all. There's no, like the glasses aren't chilled. Um, yeah, it's cold. It's cold when it hits your tongue. It absolutely is. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even really notice it. I guess uh, until you said it. But yeah, it is cold when it hits your tongue. Maybe that is the gut punch. Is that it's cold, and then you when it lands, it lands. It it, it, it kind of like lavas back. It up like a warms bit. up. Yeah, and it goes, warms oh. up. From the bottom up. I am intrigued, Jameson. I was not thinking this was going to be a... I was thinking this going to be a throwaway whiskey, but I'm thinking I'm wrong. Yeah, I... Um, you said this the black barrel, they're like double charred? Yep. That's what it, that's what it is? Yep, double charred. This is... Uh, I don't know. It's the Jameson black barrel. Um, all they said in it is it, it's triple distilled... And flame charred. Wow, is what it says. Wow. Well, I'm excited to. Uh, I am so glad I'm the drinker today, uh, or the the more drinker, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not the presenting you're the listener, um, learner. Yeah, wonder. I don't know. Uh, we need to figure out a name for you. Yeah, for other each other. Hmm. Yeah. That's another Email thing. Email us to, if you got a good name for the person not presenting. Yeah. Not teaching. Yeah. So. Interesting. Uh, well, we are supposed to be tasting. Um, nutty notes are in abundance alongside the smooth sweetness of spice and vanilla. Very desserty. Um, it finishes uh, with richness and intensity and vanilla. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, pretty spot on. Jameson's website about Jameson Black Peril. You're not wrong about your own whiskey. Apparently, you've been doing this since 1760, and you're doing it right. So, good on you, Jameson. This bottle says 1780. That says 1760. Oop, nope, it's an 80. I, it's like imprint. <laughs> it's imprinted in the glass, so it was like angled. And oh, I, see, I've got it on the on the label here. Oh no, I was looking at it imprinted in glass, so gotcha. I'm like, you know. That's my uh, excuse. The benefit of the doubt there. Okay. All right. Uh, well, mm. we're going to keep uh, sipping on this, and it is definitely uh, sweet. I I am. So oh, far. that was really good. I take got like a hazelnut when I like. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm into this. Okay. I, and and it, I'm kind of getting like a leftover. Uh, I'm. What is. I'm assuming this is what li- like liqueur tastes mm-hmm. like. It's kind of like a chocolatey kind of flavor. It's a 
creamy. Yeah. Like type. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting like a creamy chocolatey taste left in my mouth. Yes. As well, so. It's very good. Um, All right. So. Damn. All right. Well. Let's, uh, I guess let's move on. We'll, we'll keep drinking this throughout and let you guys mm-hmm. know what we think at the end. Yeah. It's time for the wonder segment. All right. Strap on in. Got another doozy for you today. Oh, boy. This is all about Universe 25. Today, our wonder segment begins with a man named John Calhoun. Calhoun was born on May 11th, 1917 in Elkton, Tennessee. In junior high, he developed an interest in birds and began to attend Tennessee Ornithological Society. Knew I was going to mess that up. His passion ran through his high school years as he spent much of his time banding birds and recording their habits. He was first published at 15 years old in an ornithological journal that the society ran. His father refused to help him attend an out-of-state university. Despite this, Calhoun committed to to attending the University of Virginia. He earned his bachelor's degree in 1939, and he earned his master's degree and his Ph.D. from Northwestern University. Though he continued to love birds, his thesis was written on the common sewer rat, for which he studied their 24-hour rhythms. John Calhoun became a master ethologist, coining the term behavior sink, which we will spend a whole lot of time talking about later on. Ethology is the scientific study of animal behavior, typically in natural conditions and defining behaviors as evolutionary adaptive traits. Charles Darwin's research, combined with other observations of 19th and 20th century ornithologists, became the foundation for this area of study. Ethologists typically don't focus on a single species in their research. Instead, often focusing in a particular behavior in a number of unrelated species. This is a fairly new field of study and is growing and evolving as the years go on really becoming recognized only in the early 21st century. Ethologists use their data to understand animal communication, emotions, culture, learning, and sexuality. Several highly believed ideas from the past have been proven false by ethologists, such as dominance theory in dogs. Fun fact. In 2020, the theory that animals have belief systems was introduced by the Ruhr University Bauckham. Hopefully, this becomes studied more extensively. Perhaps if it does, it will appear as a future wonder segment. Animals have what? Belief, belief systems. Systems? Mm-hmm. What is that in, like, what do you mean by a belief system? Um, so there was... I definitely fell into this rabbit hole, and it's only one study. It was published by this university in Germany. Um, these two uh, researchers put together this study, and it's like a big, like, multi-paged uh, thing. Um, 
And the implications of it are that birds, um, they confirmed that crows and some some other bird um, for sure can study the world around them and develop a belief from it. And then they developed, uh, they studied other animals who often showed the same uh, thing. So because it's so new, there's not a, there's not a whole lot of detail or information I can get into um, other than the, the potential for the potential for this being like a something that is highly studied and maybe even something that becomes um, common commonly uh, accepted uh, is intense. Um, so my my question, I guess, I don't understand what they're studying. Are they studying studying like crows can? based on their experiences, have their own belief system. Is that like learned traits? Is that like a different word for that? Like, for instance, the squirrels at the college I went to would come right up to you because people fed them. Like, is that a belief system that people are going to feed me food? Yes. So, okay. Um, that's in the simplest terms, yes. Um, the implications of the study is that uh, animals can develop complex belief systems such as humans having religion. Okay. That, um, that's kind of where I was like getting at. Equate it like to something human. Yes. Humanistic, not just, oh, seagulls hover around uh, the beaches because there's easy food there. Yeah. You know. Um, the implications of the study is that animals can have beliefs outside their known realm. Okay. So it's very interesting, um, and I really hope more gets looked into about it because it was definitely fascinating, the little bit that has been done so far. Anyway. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack us No, there. that's that all right. Just, I put that, that fun me. fact there because I, I had to include it. Yeah. That was just fascinating. <clears throat> Often, people confuse ethology with comparative psychology. Comparative psychology studies behavior in the context of what is known about human psychology and often leads to anthropomorphizing animals in detrimental ways. Ethology is the study of behavior using the context of what is known about animal anatomy, physiology, sexuality, etc., Comparative psychologists tend to research animals in artificial situations. Ethologists research in natural situations to, to try and describe behavior as instinctual. Though these two fields are often complementary, they do occasionally have conflicts of opinion and uh, opposite conclusions. Over the years, ethologists have come to conclude that animals learn via habituation, which is prolonged exposure to the same stimulus decreases response to said stimulus. So what that means in an example is um, if a, uh, I'll use the example I read about, if there's a prairie dog um, 
they like yell and alert all the other prairie dogs when there's like a threat. Um, and if they're like living right off a highway, if they like come out of the hole and yell whenever a semi truck goes by after that semi truck goes by a few times, eventually they realize that, Oh, this isn't a real threat. And they learn that because of their habitat, they don't need to react to that particular noise or threat anymore. Yeah. They adjust to the habitat. Yes. Interesting. They learn via associative learning, which is classical and operant conditioning, which was first published by Ivan Ivan Pavlov, which this is... Same Pavlov that had his dog? That's all about Pavlov's dog. Yeah. Um, so conditioning, getting them to associate that a certain stimulus increases or decreases a behavior. They learn via imprinting. Imprinting is where newborn animals respond to their environment in a profound way in only the first few hours of their life. An example is how baby ducklings know which duck is their mother and instinctually know to follow her. So this is um, why in um, Jurassic Park, uh, the runner of the park, the old man whose name I totally just now forgot. John uh, Hammond. Yep, why Hammond wanted to be there for the birth or the hatch of every dinosaur so they would imprint on him. Mm -hmm. He would be their mommy. This is the science of imprinting. They uh, Certain animals do actually imprint on the first thing they see. They learn via cultural learning, which is how adults interact with their young, passing down information for generations. So like a mama bear teaching her cub how to climb a tree. Exactly. Yeah. They learn from observational learning, which is observing another's behavior and modeling it. This method tends to require a social model. So observational learning um, tends to, you're sitting in a group and you see that everyone else is doing this. So you start doing what everyone else is doing, but it's not just one other animal you're mimicking. It's a group of other, other animals. This is fascinating. I'd be interested to see this done over a broad array of animals. Like, okay. I, I wonder how many, I'm sure it has been. I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I was watching a documentary on uh, the buffalo in Yellowstone mm -hmm. and how they, whenever a predator or a pack of predators come up, they form a essentially a circle putting all, their, all the little ones and well, young in the middle. Yeah. Right? And all their backs to one another. Mm -hmm. And like it, it, it's interesting to me. Is that a learned behavior or is that just instinct or a combination or what exactly, you know? So it's, I would like to see it over a. You want an ethologist to tell you why they're doing that or how they, how they do that. How they learn to do that. Okay. Like how, is it, you know, like I said, is it something that's just purely instinct? Yes. That that just takes over, or is it like they've grown up seeing... It's probably, from the bit I've researched uh, this week, it's probably through observational learning. Um, all the elders did that, and it just was passed down, okay? Everyone does that when predators are near. It... I'm sure there's more to yeah, it than that. I, but. I just thought of uh, a very crude and interesting 
experiment to do, but if you just took several uh, species in the same habitat and isolated them within, like took young. Yeah, like newborn. Newborns and isolated mm-hmm. them and, and just kind of saw what happened when they didn't have anything to imprint. But the problem is, how are you going to keep them alive and without mm. imprinting on them? Yeah. You know, that's the problem. Yeah, that, that's a interesting. I, I mean, it would be fascinating, but that would be a very tricky yeah. experiment to pull off without any type of bias. Yeah, without introducing any any kind of... yeah. Error. Yeah, it'd be very hard to get a true data, uh, true data from that. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I, that's I, right. I, I'm interrupting, but it's just because you're piquing my curiosity. That's all right. I like when I do that. Um, animals learn via imitation. Imitation is where an animal directly copies the behavior of another. Imitation is not as advanced as observational learning, though they're basically the same thing uh so imitation is monkey see monkey do observational is everyone does this i do this and they learn through stimulus and local enhancement this is where an individual is attract is attracted to another object which is considered a stimulus or a location which is considered a local by watching another interact with said thing or place. So a bear watches a deer consistently go to like the same patch of flowers and eat from that patch. And he realizes that there, there must be something about those flowers that's really good. And goes over there and sees that they're highly pollinated or something. So you see someone else do something and you're like, huh, okay. And you figure out why they're doing said thing. Uh, Animals learn via social transmission. This is the pre-step to cultural learning in which an animal learns a behavior and passes it down to their young and those in direct contact with them. And then animals learn via teaching. Teaching is highly advanced learning where a demonstrator adjusts their behavior so that an observer achieves the desired end result of the behavior. So, to recap, animals learn via habituation, associative learning, imprinting, cultural learning, observational learning, imitation, stimulus and local enhancement, social transmission, and teaching. Um, Just keep all that in mind. There is a scientific rule called 10 Bergen's Four Questions, also known as levels of analysis, which ethologists need to be able to answer to explain any instance of behavior. They require explanations of function, causation, development, and and evolutionary history and i'm trying to load the next page and it's blank Uh oh. Uh, no like for real this is not good what's uh, happening we might have to pause uh-oh. oh my god i'm kind of freaking out i'm gonna fill the air for the moment by saying this whiskey is 
I'm enjoying this whiskey. Spoiler alert. So, um, I may dip back into the bottle later. And we might have to pause. I don't know if I can pause the YouTube video. Actually, okay. yes, I can. Okay. Oh, okay. There we go. Sorry, guys. Woo, that was terrifying and not professional. All right. Let's pretend none of that just happened. That's some real shit, y'all. <laughs> All right. There is a scientific rule called 10 Bergen's Four Questions, also known as levels of analysis, which ethologists need to be able to answer to explain any instance of behavior. They require explanations of function, causation, development, and evolutionary history. Specifically, function. How does the behavior affect the animal's chances of survival and reproduction? Why does the animal respond that way instead of some other way? Causation. What are the stimuli that elicit the response, and how has it been modified by recent learning? Development. How does the behavior change with age, and what early experiences are necessary for the animal to display the behavior? Evolutionary history. How does the behavior compare with similar behavior in related species, and how might it have begun through the process of phlogeny? Each behavior has to have an explanation for all four of these levels. John Calhoun continued to study behavior in rodents, first continuing to research sewer rats from 1958 until 1962. It wasn't until the late 1960s that Universe 25 would begin. First, however, the National Institute of Mental Health had to acquire a rural property in Maryland for many research products to be housed. John Calhoun housed his experiment in the Poolsville area. He called it Universe 25, and he intended to create a mouse utopia and study the effects of utopian society where the environment was designed to eliminate any problems that would lead to mortality in the wild. The first step was the enclosure. A massive 2.7 square meter consisting of four pens, 276 living compartments, and 16 burrows that led to food and water that would never run out. The environment was kept at 68 degrees Fahrenheit, the supposed perfect temperature for mice, and the environment was sterilized so that there would never be any type of virus or disease. They had access to fresh, clean nesting materials. The universe began with four pairs of mice chosen specifically for their health from a breeding colony at the National Institute of Health. Calhoun made as close to a mouse, a mouse utopia as he physically could. And the experiment began as you'd expect it to. Without the need to forage for food, shelter, and worrying for predators, the mice began having all the sex. The first 104 days, Calhoun named the Strive Period as the mice adjusted to their new surroundings. The Exploit Period began at the end of the 104th day. 
every 55 days, the population doubled. By all accounts, things were going perfect for a time. At populations of 620, on day 315, the breeding slowed. Now, they only doubled in population every 145 days. The enclosure was built to house 3,000 mice. Each compartment could hold 15 mice comfortably. But, despite all the room, most of the mice crowded together and ate together, the act of consuming food becoming a communal activity. And the mice began to have problems. They quickly overcrowded themselves by sticking to the same small spaces. This led to a drop in mating, and the birth rate fell. And a social imbalance began. One-third of the mice were socially dominant. The other two-thirds less socially adept than their forebearers. This trend continued into a slow decline. Quote, In the normal course of events in a natural ecological setting, somewhat more young survive to maturity than are necessary to replace their dying or senescent established associates, Calhoun wrote in 1972. The excess that find no social niches immigrate. End quote. What Calhoun was explaining was that since the population was in a utopian, set, a utopian setting, no mice were dying off and no one had anywhere to immigrate to. And this was a detriment. As the population boomed, an overcrowding emerged. There were mice that couldn't fit in socially due to, due to those roles already being filled. And they began to experience behavior sinks. This began the first phase of the downfall of utopia. Males who failed withdrew physically and psychologically. They became inactive and despondent. They would lay together in groups in the center of the floor of the habitat. They did not interact with their fellows, and the normal territorial males paid no attention to them. Despite this, they would become heavily injured from other withdrawn males attacking them, which would lead them to then um, attack in a vicious cycle. So the withdrawn males would just lie there as they were attacked, not responding to defend themselves in any way. But later on, they would turn and attack a different male in the same pattern. For the ease of understanding, I'll call the mice on this level omegas. The alpha-level males became the opposites of the omegas. They were far more aggressive and would become violent with no clear trigger as to why. Often, these males would roam around and rape other mice regardless of gender. The victims were typically the beta-level males, those who were not outcast but also not aggressive. The betas were timid and often were passive in the alpha's attacks. Blood baths, began, bleh, blood baths began to ensue as mice fought to the death and then feasted cannibalistically on the, on the losers. With the male mice falling into these three levels, alpha, beta, and omega, and abandoning the traditional male role, females also had to change. 
the females became more aggressive as the sole protector of their nests. This violence often ended up targeted at their own young. The infant mortality rate reached 90% during this period. Some mothers would just abandon their young. Others would simply forget about them, often dropping a baby in the middle of walking and just carrying on. Then there were the, quote, beautiful ones. These mice cared not for engaging in any of the behaviors the rest were experiencing. Instead, they spent their days grooming themselves. They refused any form of mating and never engaged in fighting. Because of this and the constant grooming, they had very pretty fur, which is why Calhoun referred to them kind of creepily as the beautiful ones. The next phase began, and Calhoun called it second death. Whatever young mother... Whatever young mice survived the previous phase, the beginning of the downfall, did not learn usual mice behavior. These mice almost exclusively became beautiful ones. The population of the Utopia peaked at 2,200 mice, despite the enclosure being designed to easily care for 3,000. By the 560th day, there was no more population increases, and that began the death phase. The beautiful ones retired to the upper decks of the enclosure to live out their lives in egotistical bliss with no desire to continue the population. Below, the remaining mice formed violent gangs that would regularly attack one another, increasing the bloodbath fights and cannibalism. The low birth rate, high infant mortality rate, and violence combined together in the mousepocalypse, resulting in the complete extinction of the entire colony. The final mouse died on day 920. For the entire existence of Universe 25, the enclosure always had ample food and water, shelter, and other necessities to life. And still, their society collapsed with an alarming degree of anarchy. Calhoun concluded that mice, as humans, require a sense of identity and purpose within the world at large, and that experiences such as anxiety, stress, and tension were required in order to get engaged within a society. When all needs are accounted for and no conflict exists, the act of living is stripped to its barest physiological essentials of food and sleep. In Calhoun's view, herein is the paradox of life without work or conflict. When all sense of necessity is stripped from the life of an individual, life ceases to have purpose, and the individual dies in spirit. At one point during the experiment, Calhoun took some of the beautiful ones and relocated them into a different enclosure with pre-existing rodents living a normal life. He wondered if they would change and live more productive lives if they'd experienced a normal society. However, these mice showed no signs of change, 
They continued to refuse to mate and interact with their new peers and ended up dying of natural causes without ever contributing to the social structure of the new enclosure. Quote, In Calhoun's view, the rise and fall of Universe 25 proved five basic points about mice as well as humans. Number one, the mouse is a simple creature, but it must develop the skills for courtship, child rearing, territorial defense, and personal role fulfillment on the domestic and communal front. If such skills fail to develop, the individual will neither reproduce nor find a productive role within society. Two, as with mice, all species will grow older and gradually die out. There is nothing to suggest human society isn't prone to the same developments that led to the demise of Universe 25. Three, if the number of qualified individuals exceeds the number of openings in society, chaos and alienation will be the inevitable outcomes. Four, individuals raised under the latter conditions will lack any relation to the real world. Physiological fulfillment will be their only drive in life. Five, just as mice thrive on a set of complex behaviors, the concern for others developed in post-industrial human skills and understandings is vital to man's continuance as a species. The loss of these attributes within a civilization could lead to its collapse. End quote. <clears throat> I... I'm not going to harp on this, but all I'm going to say is that I see a lot of parallels between our society and this society of rats. As did Calhoun. Overall, Calhoun said the fate of the mice as a metaphor for the potential fate of man. He named the second death phase of Universe 25 after Biblical Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, modern-day scientists, ethologists, and psychologists tend to criticize these experiments for a variety of reasons, which we will get to. But first, let's talk about behavior sync, which is a term that John Calhoun coined in this his career. <clears throat> A behavioral sink is described as a collapse in behavior, which results from overcrowding. And tons of stories have been created with this idea founded behind it. In fact, some of our most well-known dystopian tales would not exist without Universe 25. Soylent Green, Snowpiercer, District 9, Elysium, Dread, many more. The one I found most fascinating learning about is the book Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim by Robert C. O'Brien. Robert C. O'Brien was inspired by Calhoun's work. The book was adapted into a Don Bluth cartoon, The Secret of Nim. That movie was one of my favorites growing up, and I continue to love it to this day. It was Don Bluth's first 
directorial debut after ending his career at Disney. Bluth would go on to direct my favorite sci-fi cartoon, Titan A.E., as well as many more amazing movies that shaped my, and probably your, childhood. Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Anastasia, etc. But back to the secret of Nim. The movie follows a widowed mouse that lives with her children on a farm. Her son falls ill as the farmer gets ready to plow the field. The mouse knows she has to get her family out before the field is plowed, but has to get her son well enough first. This leads her on a journey where she discovers her husband was involved in an experiment at NIM, the National Institute of Mental Health, NIM for short. The experiment, Universe 25. Adventure ensues, great movie, go watch it. Never heard of it. Of course you haven't. Now, let's talk about why many argue that his work does not relate to humanity and needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Some even question if the experiment actually showed what we believed it to at the time. First and foremost, Calhoun is using his data by anthropomorphizing the mice, humanizing them to correlate their behavior with what humanity would do in their situations. Humans are far more advanced than mice. We have science, technology, and medicine to help us achieve advantages in such situations. With our ingenuity, we can scientifically pinpoint causation and change the course of a disaster. We develop medicine to heal wounds and illnesses, and we strive to explore new environments and hope to one day terraform our galaxy. Medical historian Edmund Ramsden says that, quote, rodents may suffer from crowding. Human beings can, co can cope, end quote. Another scientist named Jonathan Freeman suggests that problems arose not from overcrowding, but instead from excessive social interaction. Quote, not all of Calhoun's rats had gone berserk. Those who managed to control space led relatively normal lives, end quote. Which I include, just so all you extroverts out there, be careful. Just kidding. Kind of. <clears throat> so, my personal take on this is just that, yes, mice and human are very different. And you may touch on this later, but we're all driven by instinct. We're still animals. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll talk about it. <clears throat> so despite all of his uh, data and research, Calhoun wasn't himself convinced that humanity was doomed. He spent much of his later career studying how to ensure we could avoid a behavior sink. He founded an academic team that promoted the idea of humans colonizing other planets, and he helped model city designs to make sure steps were taken in tandem with development to maintain communication between people. His work is highly esteemed among city planning councils, both on U.S. soil and abroad. 
But some argue that all of Universe 25 was misread and the entire experiment's data was incorrect. Journalist Esther Inglis Arkell writes that, quote, Instead of a population problem, one could argue that Universe 25 had a fair distribution problem, unquote. She states that the habitats he created weren't truly overcrowded, but instead that isolation enabled aggressive mice to stake out territory and isolate the beautiful ones. Simply put, Universe 25 didn't give us conclusive answers. No single study or even series of studies can definitively draw conclusions. And even today, in 2021, scientists, ethologists, and psychologists research Universe 25 and his data and argue amongst themselves about it. As Einstein famously said, no amount of experimentation can ever prove me right. A single experiment can prove me wrong. Throughout this entire research, my mind kept going toward the matrix. And despite my research, I did not find anywhere that made the same connection as me, at least nowhere that wrote down that they did. In both The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded, the Paradise Matrix is mentioned. The Paradise Matrix was the first matrix the machines designed for humanity. It was supposed to be a perfect world, a human human utopia, but it failed. Agent Smith says to Morpheus, quote, Did you know that the first Matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone would be happy? It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world. But I believe that, as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. So the perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from. End quote. They go further in depth in the Animatrix, a series of animated short stories the Wachowskis released in, in 2003. Each story told more of the history behind the Matrix, including the original war and the creation of the Matrix. It's actually a really neat short film that I highly encourage any fan of The Matrix to check out if you haven't. But anyway, I kept thinking about similarities between Universe 25 and the Paradise Matrix. Maybe humanity, despite how we like to argue against it, wouldn't be able to handle a perfect world. Fact is, we will never find out because we will never truly experience perfection. We just have to rely on studies and people far smarter than we are to answer our questions for us. And that's Universe 25, the utopian experiment. That is one hell of an experiment that... I agree with one of the last things you said um, of what people today tend to think of it is that it's 
it showed us something, but how can we be sure of what exactly it showed us? Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, I saw a lot of very eerie, uh, very accurate comparisons to our society. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of our society, I mean, birth rates are low. And, I, and when I say our society, I mean specifically United States. Um, birth rates are low. There are definitely changes occurring amongst uh, male and female populations. There are different levels within each population, so to speak. Uh, women are taking on new roles, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, more dominate dominant roles as the female mice did in a way. Um, I also tend to think that we've got it too damn good. Like we've taken the struggle out of life for a lot of us. I mean, if I want to eat, go to the, go to the store and buy it. I don't have to go hunt. I don't have to waste energy to go get it. Not real energy. You know, I don't know. I, I, me personally, I see a lot of eerie similarities and, uh, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm a pessimist. So (laughs) I, I definitely see the similarities you're talking about, even though I don't necessarily agree with what, where you're coming from. I believe as a species, we have a long way to get to true utopian society. Um, But I do think once we hit, if we can hit a utopian society, I do think that will be the downfall of our race. I'm curious as to what you think a utopian society is for humans. So, a society with no stress, no crime, no work, no conflict. Um, True utopia would be... I don't... I I don't think that that is realistically ever possible. Probably not. I don't think... Hmm. I feel like that's not taking into account the fact that people are still animals. Probably not. Like I, I think on a on a basic, on an, a certain level, we have to think of ourselves as animals and mm-hmm. for an animal utopia, because I think this triggers something subconscious. Okay. More than more than it is something conscious conscious. Okay. Like, uh, so why are some people averse to conflict? Conflict sucks. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. That is that a conscious decision or is that just a subconscious? It makes you uncomfortable. Is that a learned? It goes back to the, to those reasons why, which our society is splintering as the rat colony already had. Yeah. You know, that's just kind of where I see it. And I, I feel like, yes. The theoretical utopian society is something, 
you know, nobody's stressed. Nobody has to worry about anything. Uh, there's nobody ever gets into fights, but realistically, you you don't think two rats ever wanted the same space in that thing, and they well, gnarled at each other for a minute before it got bad. Before it got bad, yeah. Like, it, so yeah, you're you're thinking a lot on the lines. Um, you're thinking definitely a lot of taking everything like uh, literally, which is what I saw a lot of scientists doing. Um, I'm talking more in terms of surviving, I guess. Yeah. 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 You're looking at it as like pure survival. Um, I think the rest of it's all man-made problems. Okay. I guess like, I guess that's a way to say it. Okay. Why, why do you think that the mice, despite having ample food and space, all chose to stay together? rather than spreading out as they should have. You said that there were originally four? Originally four um, mice, mice that were introduced, yeah. Were they all from the same family? Were they, they were, um, it was, I, know you I said read it was some hand. places, some places said it was four breeding pairs. Some places said it was four pregnant females. So no matter what, there were four females there. There might have been eight mice introduced originally, a male for each female. Um, but no matter what, there was four pregnant females that started the colony. I'm just curious, is that a... Obviously, these were adult rats. Is that something that they just passed on, that behavior? Okay. You know, did they just... Obviously, you've got your rat family. You hang out with your rat family as your, um, well, honest, truthfully, I don't know how rats do it. I imagine they're mammals, so they nurse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you group with your parent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, in a, in a, in an experiment like that, where they're isolated and you start with eight, mm-hmm. and they're, those eight are used to the group group setting setting. They're going to pass that group setting onto the kids and it's going to it's grow and grow go and goes. Okay. I get, I definitely that's, get what you're saying. That's the way I, think um, and that also goes to, uh, Calhoun introducing, you know, a group of beautiful ones, uh, to a new enclosure with normal mice in it. Um, thinking that, okay, well they'll bounce back. They'll be normal. And they never did. They continued how they were raised, what they grew up as. They never. That's actually, I forgot about the beautiful ones. And in my head, and I think it had to do with the name, I was uh, kind of associating it. Uh, for whatever reason, the Kardashians in my head, <laughs> uh, just because the beautiful ones. I don't even think those people are beautiful, but whatever. <laughs> society does. <sighs> and I don't want to offend anybody when I say this, but I might step on some toes here. I don't mean to. I, I'm saying this just as purely as an observation based off what you describe the beautiful people. Not interested in breeding. Yeah. I'm curious if in our society the beautiful people are gay people. Okay, stepping on toes. I'm just, I, I feel mean, it. I, I understand there are some gay people that so, want children, but 
biologically. You're saying that, but there were, um, there was, uh, like a same sex rape happening, um, of the alpha males who were running around. So I don't, I I don't, I don't want to, I'm not saying that same sex, uh, Gay people or same-sex people don't want to breed or don't have, don't want to have children. I'm not saying that. I know people that do, but I'm just trying to draw. Is that a metaphor for our society in a way? Is that something because <sighs> how would I say it? I guess they were not interested in reading necessarily I, I don't know because see they weren't like interested gay people like to bre- <laughs> i don't feel like breed is the right word but gay people like to fuck yes they like to have sex you know so i don't know it's these these mice had no interest in interacting at all with other mice they didn't want to breed they didn't want to have any type of social connection at all okay they wanted to be 100% by themselves with themselves. Maybe I'm one of the beautiful ones then. <laughs> and I don't mean I don't, that as in like, I, Hey, I, I don't think a be- beautiful one would have agreed to have a podcast with another mouse. Yeah, that's true. It's only one other mouse though. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I just, to me, there are some very eerie, Definitely. But some of the theories you brought up at the end also, you know, like like I said, it taught us something. Yes. But it could have taught us one of 20 different things. This is, and that's why this experiment from the 1970s is still so highly debated and uh, researched and talked about today. I would be very interested to see how much we could gain from uh, how we could separate instinct from learned behaviors. Like, uh, I don't know what kind of studies have been done on that as far as, you know, kind of, kind of what I was saying earlier, if you could take newborns from take a newborn wolf or a couple newborn wolves, a couple newborn bison, a couple newborn deer, a couple newborn, you know, birds, a couple mm-hmm. newborn, whatever, and put them into a a undisturbed habitat. You know, how would they? Yeah, where they've never had any interaction with their parents um, or any type of their. Yeah, and the yeah. problem is nature is out to kill you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, if you put a newborn that can't feed off its mama's milk, or that you know, is it going to survive? Mm-hmm. Is are the wolves going to work together? Are they going to eat meat? Are they going to, is that instinct going to kick in mm-hmm. when they get hungry enough? You know, I, I guess that's just that. Yeah. I don't know that. I, I think that might help conducting an experiment where we can isolate how much is instinct versus, versus instinct land. might help I mean, us figure out or at least point us in the right direction on the Universe 25 experiment. It, that would point us in the answers of... A bunch of... E- everything. Truth. I mean, yeah. 
everything comes down to is this nature? Is it nurture? Um, any, anything in the criminal, like, uh, criminal world, serial killers, rapists, things like that. It's always an argument between is it nature? Is it nurture? Why did this person do this? If something was different, would it have changed? And it's all, and we don't, we don't know. We can't answer that question. That, that haunts humanity. Yeah. I think not having an answer to nature versus nurture. See, and, and I, I know people are probably getting bored of this, so we'll move off of it soon. But that you brought up serial killers and and crimes; mm-hmm. those are man made things. Are and, they? Because I mean, if a dog goes out and screws another dog, willingly or unwillingly, nature doesn't care. You know, it, it, the dog often will change its behavior if it's not willing yeah it'll yeah i can see you know it being a little more aggressive and whatnot afterward and if a a hyena goes and steals you know a lion's dinner a lot of time that a lion becomes more uh judgmental of hyenas type thing i i yeah i just i i guess i was more really thinking like murder So much killing happens in nature, you know, and it's just kind of like, unfortunately, it's a natural part of life too. So Mm -hmm. ain't nobody getting out alive. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm curious about things like that. Like, is this, is this something that man has made and nature doesn't care about? Mm -hmm. Or is it something that man has made because nature cares about it? Yeah. So to speak. And I'd get what you're, uh, I get what you're saying. Overall, Universe 25 created way more questions yeah, it, and it, answered none. It, uh, I'm literally sitting here swimming in questions. I can keep <laughs> asking questions, but I'm sure you guys don't want to hear that. Um, it's, it's fascinating, without a doubt. I was very uh, absorbed into this research, despite the couple of rabbit holes I fell into about um, mythology. I was absorbed into it, as you were telling me. Um, yeah, that was that was a doozy. I don't like stuff like that. Truth, truth be told, um, like I like it. It was awesome, but I like having an answer. Yeah, I don't like not getting an answer, and yeah. that bothers me. Like I'm gonna sit here and puzzle on this for days now, and think about <laughs> think about <laughs> different things I can do to try and help this find an answer. Uh, not that I have any experience at all in this field, but <laughs> anyway, on that it's note, guys, fascinating. we're going to move on out of this. Thanks for sticking with us this long. If you're still here, which I know you are. Trivia with Tyler. All righty. All right. So. This week, I found some old ones that I forgot were there, I guess. Um, So, we're going to... Oh, there it is right there. Okay. Smiling in public is frowned upon in Russian culture. 
Excessive smiling is seen as a sign of dishonesty, <laughs> insincerity, or even stupidity. Russians also tend not to smile in photographs for this reason. Hmm. So, if you're in Russia and you want to seem like you're a good person, straight shooter, don't smile. Be an asshole. <laughs> asshole tip of the week. Asshole tip oh of the week. Oh my God, that's what we need to call this. The Hell with the Wonder segment, or Trivia with Tyler. Asshole. <laughs> Not the Wonder. <laughs> asshole Trivia of the Week. Oh, I kind of love that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, Alrighty. All right, let's move on. Final thoughts. What about mailbag? Oh, God. <laughs> it's I, in your notes. I, I forgot. Mail time. So we got nothing through the email and nothing through any social media. And I put in the notes, nothing for mailbag. And Megan told me before we started, she had a text mailbag. I got sidetracked and didn't change my notes. And she told me again right before we recorded. <laughs> and there's, I did change my notes this time. There's a mailbag. Still forgot. Well, uh, we do have a mailbag today. This comes in from friend Julia. So hello, friend Julia. First time hearing from you. Thank you for listening to yes. Whiskey and Wonder. Sorry, Thanks. Tyler. Almost forgot about you. I apologize. Yeehaw, yeehaw. <laughs> Uh, so Julia, uh, texted me and said, listening to the latest whiskey and wonder as I clean and would like to put in a formal complaint about y'all's mispronunciation of Traverse City. And I asked, how do you say it? <laughs> she replied, damn, no voice note option, but despite the fact traverse is a word, it's not like the real word. Ha ha. Like in the word, the A makes an uh, schwa for my teacher's sound. But for the city, they say the A like an actual short A, like in cat. So it's not traverse city, it's traverse city. Okay, well, I stand corrected. It's yes. traverse city. It is traverse city. Um. And I wrote back to her uh, in my defense because I hadn't read her other text first. In Kingdom Hearts, there's a place called Traverse Town, and it is pronounced like you'd put Travis and Converse together. And then I read what she said, and I said, which I think is the right way to say it, if I'm reading that right. And Julia replied, yeah, that sounds right. I definitely heard you say it like that at one point, but Tyler went for a classic Traverse, as in the word Traverse. Guilty. Gotta represent my people, Lamau. I, Julia, I appreciate you letting me know that I'm wrong. Yep. I sound like an idiot, so now I'm gonna sound. I, there's one less word that I will sound like an idiot on. Yes. If everybody can write me a new word that I sound like an idiot on every week, <laughs> maybe we can make me sound educated. Educated. <laughs> yep. Um. But thank you, Julia, for that text, that mail text. Um, it was very exciting getting that, something that we could talk about uh, here on the podcast and mail time. So thank you so much. Uh, as always, to anyone listening, if you have any anything you want to talk about with us, whether you have a complaint, criticism, suggestion, 
story you want to share, just whatever you want to shoot the shit, you know, anything, um, send us an email, contact at whiskeyandwonder.com. If you know Tyler or I in real life, you can shoot us a text. You can message us on our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook, any of our social medias, and we'd be happy to throw you in mail time as well. So thank you, friend Julia. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank you. Like I said, I, I appreciate when you guys write in and correct me on words because I don't know a lot of them. And the few I do know, I mess up a lot. So Words are hard. Um, all right. On this note, we're actually going to do it this time. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. So there was definitely a few times uh, as I was talking, I had to like purposefully like go like, so I could take a drink. Well, so I felt like I was interrupting too much at the beginning there. You were doing fine. You sparked my curiosity and my brain juice started flowing. So fortunately it stayed in my head. Mm. Yum. Um, So the little bit I've gotten to drink as we've done this has been phenomenal with a capital PH phenomenal. Um I I saw you put a water drop in. What do you think? Increase the burn. Oh, do not like. Yeah. No I water not, for me. Uh if you like that it if you like the burn, yeah. Yeah, the, the flavor muted and the burn increased. Um not as smooth. I would not recommend. But I would recommend drinking it neat. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Um, it's been delicious. I mean, it is drinking a whiskey sundae, a whiskey ice cream sundae. Um, like, honestly, I could see um, I've had Jack Daniels ice cream before um, that it was like Jack Daniels flavored and it had like dark chocolate chips in it. Uh, really good. It was like a homemade uh, ice cream place in Central City in Colorado that had it. I'm sure that place is long, long since gone. Um, I don't even remember the name of it. But anyway, it was fantastic. So it was a Jack Daniels ice cream. And this, it it reminds me a lot of that whiskey ice cream um, that was so good. And I know it's something like... Um, my mom, uh, Mama Leona, still talks about today about how, you know, she wants to make this homemade whiskey ice cream. And she's like looked up recipes and stuff. I don't know if she's actually made any of them, but. Um, Radis, let us know. Yeah, let us know, Mom. This has been um, phenomenal. It's something that rather than doing a Jack uh, a Jack Daniels ice cream. I would say like, let's do a Jameson black barrel ice cream. Cause it already has that right flavor profile for it. Uh, and um, I would just to butt in here. I would definitely say, uh, mama Leona, you, you're going to want to go out and get this. Cause I know you recommended, uh, your, your request was Jameson. So I, I know it's not standard Jameson, but if you like standard Jameson, this has to be. Wow. I, I can't say that I can ever remember having standard Jameson, so... I can't either, but this blows blows a lot out of the water. Yeah, um, this was really good. And for its price point, I mean, a bottle of Jameson Black Barrel, I believe, is like at a $35 price point. It's a cheap whiskey. 
um, all things considered, considering some of the other whiskeys we have here that we rate high. Um, looking at uh, the black barrel on, uh, okay, so it's forty three ninety nine from a website called Barbank, whatever that is. Um, okay, that's not too bad. Um, for me, I I went through it. Uh, I honestly I had to stop myself. Otherwise, I would have finished it and had to dip back in. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It's smooth. It's sweet. It's not got a lot of burn. It's flavorful. I can't ask for much more. Uh, yeah. It, it uh, like I said, the, the and and truthfully, the gut punch kind of went away on it. Um, every every sip I had, it got less. Um, but it was still there at the end. So for me, I'm going to rate this one. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I'm going to rate this one. The number eight keeps popping into my head. Okay. So number eight, that's pretty high praise from a Tyler. A Tyler. From a Tyler. Asshole Tyler. (laughs) <laughs> that's right don't y'all forget it <laughs> um ah uh, the bougie person in me is like don't rate it that high um i never thought i would give like a well-known whiskey brand or like a a common man's whiskey a high rating um but i am enjoying uh, Jameson Black Barrel, just as much as I enjoy um, Glenlivet at home um, or uh, Templeton Rye. So this is another 10. Wow. Amen. Amen. Wow is right. Wow. I. So that's tied with your highest because yep. you give them out like candy. Well, they are not giving out like candy. <laughs> okay, you give them out like above average candy. <laughs> You don't give them out all the time, but you give them out. You only live once. Things deserve tens. You're right. So anyway, it's tied (laughs) with your highest rating. And I think that is one of, if not the highest rating I've ever given. Yeah, it's definitely in like your top three. It's yeah, it's in. Yeah, my top three. So that's very interesting. I think you... Hit the nail on the head when you said there's going to be some fisticuffs over this bottle here in a few minutes as soon as we quit, quit recording. So, All right. Well, um, uh, uh, if no one hears from me from tomorrow, I'm buried in Tyler's backyard. Not true. I would bury her somewhere else. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not completely stupid. <laughs> um, no, I will figure it out. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, ten for Megan, eight for me. Um, Go out good. and get you some. Go get it. Yeah, it's not expensive. No, Jameson Black Barrel. Well worth it. Amaze. And to all my Jamesons out there listening, go get some too. Uh, that's a shout out to my pal Jamie. <laughs> so go get some Jamie. Try it. It's really good. All right. Awesome. Well, guys. Uh, thank you for sticking around. I know I was quite mush mouth, mush mouthy, tongue tie on this episode. Um, yeah, I know we got a little deep in the 
wondering and questions and philosophical yes. there. But yes, it's been a... It, it was a thought-provoking topic. It was. Um, and it's, it's been a hot minute since I, um, I had a wonder segment, I think, because we did... Um, you had one, and then before that we had our uh, first uh, pod chair uh, joiner. So yes, um, it's been a couple of weeks, so I need to get back in the flow of learning how to talk proper-ish. Um, but other than that, guys, thank you for sticking around. I hope you found Universe 25 as interesting as Tyler and I did. As always, check us out, whiskeyandwonder.com, where you can find all of our contact information and such. We love you, and we will see you next week. Thank you guys so much. Don't drink and drive. Cheers. Oh, yum. Um...